0: Second Peter chapter one. So we're, we're moving through sec, Peter's second letter here. And the title of today's message is Be Diligent. Last, we talked a little bit about due diligence last week. We're not going to rehash all of that, but I do want to summarize. I read this week a good analogy of what we talked about last week regarding God's power in the lives of the Christian. And it's this. It's at the top of your notes. Christians are the light bulbs in their community. God is the distant generator of electricity, and the cables that carry the power are God's promises. Okay, so Peter says, in light of the great and precious promises that God makes, do something. Do your due diligence when it comes to faith. Give things pertaining to life and godliness, which you are equipped for in Christ. Give them your attention, he says your most diligent effort because here's there's a danger here and he listed these in verses 8 and 9 of chapter 1 the danger is possibly being ineffective or unfruitful in your faith and being blind and forgetful to who you really are in Christ now none of those four adjectives ineffective unfruitful blind and uh whatever the other fourth one I used was none of those are things that we want like If I've laid those out, none of you would say, I want to be that. It's not. It's the opposite. And so we want to be fruitful. We want to be faithful. We want to be effective. And so remember who you are. That was the other word, forgetful. We don't want to be that way. You see the irony in that? We don't want to be forgetful. We've been forgiven in Christ. And so we want. Peter is saying, and he'll say it again today, be reminded of these things. And so last week we looked at those seven really eight virtues if we count faith as the first that's a gift of God. All of these virtues that Peter lists, these are the the standard they distinguish those who are as Peter puts it, partakers of the divine nature. Okay? We shouldn't downplay these the standard These qualities, we shouldn't try to rearrange them or diminish them at all. Peter says strive for them. That's the the bar that we're supposed to strive for. And here's the thing, when we're striving for that, that shows that we're really in Christ. That shows that our heart belongs to Jesus, that the divine nature that we're partaking of it. I read this quote this week from John Piper. He says, We don't judge a person's genuineness by how close he is to heaven or or by how how perfect he is, but how hard he is trying, how hard he is fighting, how hard he is swimming. The evidence that God's power has been given to you by faith is that you are now, according to verse 5, making every effort to advance in the qualities of Christ. So, Peter says in verse 10, he says, therefore brothers, be all the more diligent. Okay, this, there's a work aspect to this here. Diligence is listed again. Be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Let's continue reading. Let's read through verse 15. So second Peter chapter one, now verse 11 through 15. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it is right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder. Since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me, and I will make every effort so that after my departure you may be able at any time to recall these things. Look at verse 10. He says, be all the more diligent. The King James uses the word zealous. That's a fun word we don't use very often. It's be zealous. It's the same phrase that Peter used back in verse 5. Glance back there verse 5 he was talking about instructions for christians to grow in faith and in knowledge of the lord jesus christ be diligent be zealous for those things basically we could say he's he's telling us put in the work there's some teachers in the crowd there's some coaches some of you have coached before there's some kids that are just gifted right they can they can figure out a math problem easy. There are some athletes that can just do anything. They don't have to pra- spend hours practicing. They can just pick it up and go. Most people aren't like that. They have to, as, and as teachers and as coaches, we say, you need to put in the work. And even those who are naturally good at those things, if they put in the work, they could become even better in those things. So we say, we say, put in the work guys. That's what Peter is telling us right here. He's saying, be zealous, put in the work. What are we working at? Rest of verse 10, he says, to confirm your calling and election. Now remember, both the calling of God and the election of God are just that. They're gods. Not little g gods, gods with an apostrophe s. Yes. They belong to him. They are gods. Verse 3 says, this is the same God who called us to his own glory and excellence. So if you have been saved, if you count yourself a Christian, it's only because of God. <laughs> that seems so simple to say. It's only because you've been called by God. This is God's grace in calling us or in drawing is a word that Jesus used in John chapter 6 verse 44. He says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. That word could also be called or even dragged God is doing that he's calling us he is bringing us or drawing us to salvation it's God's God's calling it's also God's election that's this is God's selection of a person to be saved from before time began I've got listed in the notes a whole list of other passages that you can look to in regards to the doctrine of election from Romans, Ephesians, Colossians, Thessalonians, Timothy. If we read verse 10 with this in mind, that these are God's things, God's calling, God's election, if we read it with that in mind, it seems a little strange then that Peter would tell Christians who are the recipients of the calling and are recipients of the drawing and the election, he would, it's weird that he would tell them to confirm their calling, right? To confirm means to to make sure, to make certain, to, to steady, be steadfast. So think about, I think we need to think about it from two different points of view. God's view and our view. And so from God's view, this work is finished. It's done, right? Calling, election, it's done in God's mind. He's the one who calls. He's the one who elects. It's already sure. It's already certain. Already confirmed. And how is that done? Through Christ. So this command to diligently make their calling and election sure is is talking about from our point of view as believers. And I think God's good in writing it this way to us through, through what Peter says here. Because if Peter didn't give examples and qualities like he has of the divine nature that's supposed to be displayed in the lives of Christians, then we would easily... And probably forever lack assurance of salvation. We would constantly be whipped back and forth by the world, by our own flesh, by the temptation of the enemy, by the winds and the waves that we've talked about already today. We would just be tossed around. No anchor there. Well, what does it look like to follow God? What does it mean that I'm a Christian? How do I know that these things are true? Well, throughout the Bible, God's been telling us. He's been instructing. Even what Peter has been saying in the first letter has been instructing God's people in these things. Think back to the groups of people that he wrote to. He wrote to husbands. Remember? He wrote to wives. He wrote to governing authorities. He wrote to those who are under the authority of the government. He wrote to children. He wrote to church members. He wrote to elders. He wrote to employees, employers, all of these people. Peter has already addressed about what it looks like to follow Jesus in that context. Now, his words alone aren't all we see, but we we saw him talk to husbands and say, live with your wives, love them in an understanding way. To employees, he said, look, submit to your bosses, even the bad ones. Even the ones that don't know or honor Jesus, submit to them. If at all possible, submit to them. To those of us who are citizens of this country, he says, look, relate to those in authority over you as if God is the one who established them over you because he has. And elders, he said, look, serve and lead the body of Christ in humility because you're going to have to give an account. So in all of these areas and and, and more, many more throughout the New Testament and and the Word of God in general, God has been showing us, God's people, God has been showing us what it looks like to live by the power of the Spirit as partakers of the divine nature. And I want to connect those things for us this morning. I want us to see that that Peter's been doing this the whole time. So it's not just like we come to the five or six verses that we're talking about today and all of a sudden it's a new idea. This is what Peter's been instructing the people in for for chapters of his his writings. And being really specific to you, many of you men are are married. How do you relate to your wife? He's told us. Wives, how do you relate to your husband? Peter's told us. And these things are evidence of the divine nature being lived out in our lives. They're real, demonstrable ways to know if you're in Christ or not, because if those qualities, if you have no desire to live with your wife in an understanding way, husband, then there's a very good chance you don't actually know Jesus. If if you're an employee and there is no desire to honor, respect or submit yourself to your employer, there's a, there's a chance you might not know Jesus because that, that's what comes out of the life that's been transformed by him. So when Peter tells Christians to be diligent, he says, be diligent in your calling and election. From God's point of view, it's already done. But from our point of view, there's still work to be done, isn't there? And I think if we're honest, and I see some of you shaking your heads already. If we're honest, you'd say, that's true. There's work to be done in here for me. And I would join you in saying that as well. And I think there is. There's lots of room for introspection here of looking inside and saying, is this true? of me. Peter says, be diligent. So is the reverse of what Peter is saying also true? If we lack diligence, if we don't care to pursue and to grow in these things, is that evidence then that we have not been called out by God? That we really don't know Jesus. God wants Christians to have assurance of salvation. That is that is for you in Christ and through God's word. And here, Peter gives us another kind of a test or kind of a a, a guide here. He says, if you're pursuing godly virtues, like the seven he listed in the previous verses, if this is true of you, if you want to grow and mature in these things, you can be sure that you're in a relationship with God. Because only the Spirit of God would prod you to grow in these things. I'm going to reference Romans chapter 8 a few times. You can put your finger in there if you'd like. But Paul explains in Romans chapter 8, verse 30, right after he talks about how he knows that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. You've heard that. You've seen it embroidered on pillows and put on stamps and all of that stuff. It's a great verse, but there's a lot more to it than that. If you keep reading in those verses, that's 28, 29, and then 30. Peter is talking, he uses, or Paul rather, is using the same word that Peter does. He says that all the elect, whom the Father predestined to Christ's likeness, He called. And those whom He called, He's justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. There's a lot happening in these things. And here's the great assurance that Christians have from a passage like what we're looking at in Second Peter and what Paul talks about in Romans chapter 8. Here's the assurance. None of God's called out ones will ever be lost. Not one. Not one. They are eternally secure. Jesus himself in John chapter 10 says it this way. He says that, we are held and kept within His hand and within the Father's hand. And then He says of the Father, He says in verse twenty-nine of chapter ten, "No one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. No one." If you so, so think about that in in your own life, if you are in the Father's hand, which is which is what Jesus is within that hand, and you are within Jesus' hand, you are kept in an unbreakable bond between the father and you and it's not because of your effort or your continued work it's because of what Christ has done but out of a response of that relationship with God we do work don't we I mean this is all over James talks about good works Peter talks about it in uh, Ephesians 2 verse 10 good works that God's prepared for us beforehand that we're going to join in those things these are evidences these are ways that we can say this I see this progressing in my life. That's an assurance of salvation. And sometimes it's super helpful to encourage your spouse in these things. And maybe not just sometimes, but regularly. And I want to grow in this area just like you guys do. And to say, I, I saw how you handled that discipline issue with, the, with our kid. That was really hard. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for following Jesus and doing it that way. Those kinds of comments can be huge in our walk with the Lord and just in your marriage in general. And you can do that not in a marriage relationship, but just in a friend relationship. You can say, hey, I noticed how you didn't participate in that ungodly conversation. I'm really proud of you. Point those things out and encourage people because that helps us see there is fruit in my life. There's evidence that God's spirit is doing something. I'm partaking of the divine and nature in this sort of a thing. So if God, if all calling and all election is of God, we need to ask ourselves, am I among those who have been called by God, who have been elect by God, who have been justified and glorified because of Christ If we are, well, God wants us to know that we are. Peter talks about it. John talks about it a lot in the book of first John. If you're, if you're doubting your salvation, read through first John. Read through it again. It'll help you see whether you really know God or not. And if you do, it's not something that we boast in that this is a little badge of honor, like, Oh, I'm this and you're not. No, because if it's truly the work of God in your heart, that would never be your attitude in humility. We would know and give glory to God. Look back at verse 8 of Peter chapter 1. He said, If these qualities are yours and increasing, are you growing in virtue? Are you growing in knowledge, in self-control, in patience, endurance, in godliness, in love for the brethren, in love for the lost? Are you growing in these things? I don't have a checklist for you. I don't have a a bunch of steps to make sure that this is happening in your life. But I think you can think back to maybe some situations this week. Are you exercising who you are in Christ when times get stressful? Peter Uses this not so much as a checklist, but kind of as a litmus test. You guys know what a litmus test is? It's this little piece of kind of paper, and you you put it down in a solution, and if you pull it out, and it's a certain color. You know that there's some kind of um, elements or something in that, and that's revealed to you. So I think this is kind of a litmus test. Do if you if you do that in your own life, what comes out? Is it different? Has it changed? Has is it reflected in these things? If there isn't growth. Perhaps you don't know the Lord, but perhaps, as we talked about last week, maybe you're just short-sighted, so short-sighted that you've become blind, you've forgotten the truth that your former sins have been removed. If that's the case, there's hope for that still too. There's hope for the sinner who doesn't know the Lord in Christ, and there's hope for us who sometimes get blinded by the things of this world, by the impact of everything that we have to deal with. Guys, we're busier now than probably we ever were. And I don't know if you're like our family, but you come to the summer, the beginning of the summer, you're like, man, I'm going to have time to to do this. And that's not how it works. Like, I'm an adult. I should know that's not how it works at this point. But I still have this hope at the beginning. It's like, ah. So we we have to be intentional about these things. When Peter says, get to the work, It's not like if you have time, when you think about it. This is work that has to be done consistently, regularly. Of those qualities that Peter lists in verses five through seven, he says, if you practice them, if you practice them, you will never fall. So literally the phrase means you will not stumble. It has the idea of like stubbing your toe. You guys ever done that? This is, it's bad. It hurts. But that's the idea. It has the idea of stumbling. You stub your toe and then you just, you trip over yourself. You fall down. So the the initial problem leads to more problems a lot of times. So you will not, if you practice these things, if you're, if you're intentional about doing these things, you're not going to, stumble so that you fall you, you might stub your toe sometimes you might stumble but you won't fall away I think this makes sense so far doesn't it Peter's already said that there are some who have been saved who have been cleansed from their former sins but have forgotten it and in their forgetfulness they become blind and they don't progress in the qualities that Peter lists they dip that little paper in the solution and the litmus test has not changed There's nothing different. It's unaffected. Peter says, that's true. That's true of some of you. He's saying, so being cleansed from past sin doesn't automatic automatically make a person grow in these things. But isn't that the goal that we want? Like, don't we want to grow in these things? Don't we want to see our, our brothers and sisters in Christ growing in these things? Are we, or are we just okay with like escaping the fires of hell but just barely so, so that we maybe figuratively get to heaven, but smell like smoke. You know what I mean? I think Paul alludes to some of these kinds of people in his writings to the Corinthians. But is that, is that like where we want to set the bar on these things? I don't think it is. I don't think it is in your mind. I think if you know the truth of what Jesus has done for you, you can't be content with that. You can't be content with just enough just getting by. So brothers and sisters in Christ who are listening this morning, don't be content with spiritual atrophy and immaturity. And that's a bold statement for me to make. And I'm not assuming that this, this is true in your life, that these things are present in your life. I can only look back at my life in Christ and see periods where that was true of me atrophy. If you don't know is like when you don't use a muscle for a long time it's really hard to get back and use it again. So like if you have a broken bone or something and you can't use that foot, a lot of times your leg, the muscles in your leg will atrophy. And you probably Brock as a physical therapist, you've probably seen that and you have to build back up to it. Brothers and sisters, I'm saying don't let that happen in your life in exercising and practicing these things. Don't, don't let it go to atrophy. Don't get comfortable in immaturity. You're meant for so much more. And the beautiful and comforting thing about all of that is that this growth, this progress is not something that happens only as a result of your work. Now we do work at it, but it's not humanly possible to, to do it all ourselves. It has to be only through the divine power of God spilling out into these great and precious promises so that through those promises we might partake in and then live out the divine nature. You see that that flow that Peter is getting at in this first chapter so far. The divine nature, everything needed for life and godliness, is ours in Christ. How it flows through us, we can drag our feet in, as I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, or we can just open up to the Lord and be conduits through. The twenty ninth verse of Romans chapter eight says that God predestined all the elect to be conformed to what? The image of Christ. Not to the image of your pastor, not to the image of a president, not to the image of even some really good person that came before, to the image of Christ. So if if that's what we're destined for before time ever began, shouldn't we have a a desire to pursue this? Wouldn't, wouldn't that be something that we would be mindful of? Say, oh, if that's, what, if that's the goal, well, how do I get there faster or better or more completely? And, and so that's what Peter is getting at too. The reassuring evidence of your calling and election of God is increasing in likeness. You want assurance of salvation? Look to the love of Christ, but then look to how your own life is being lived. Be certain of your calling and election, Peter is saying. Work hard at it. Now, remember, though, and I want to insert this in here just so we don't forget, just so I don't forget, virtue, knowledge, self-control, patience, those fruit of the Spirit that Peter lists here, that Paul lists in Galatians 5, these things are not the entrance fee to heaven. It's not like you have to have all of them perfected in order for God to receive you into heaven and let you go. They're not the entrance fee that we pay, but they are evidence of where our faith is put, of who our trust is in and the way we want to live our life. If you practice these things, Peter says, we ought to be practicing them. He says, if you do, you will not stumble and fall. Where's the danger of us falling? Well, when you stub your toe, you can fall in a number of places. Well, on the floor, down the stairs. We don't want to do that spiritually speaking either. So where would we would we fall? Well, I think Peter's already kind of mentioned some of these things. Th- those former sins that he mentioned that believers have been cleansed from that sometimes we forget. You won't fall back into those things. You won't stumble and fall if you're practicing these things. And that makes sense because if we are thinking in the Spirit, having the mind of Christ, our mind won't be on the things of this world, the things of the flesh. In fact, Paul says in Romans 8, verse 6, he says, To set the mind on the flesh is death. Let me say that again. To set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. It's life and peace. Those former sins that we've been cleansed from, forgiven us, those things were dragging us straight to the pits of hell. And if you don't believe that, then you need to understand your own sin. But that's where they—that's where our inevitable end was heading, straight to hell. Brothers and sisters, the world is telling us the opposite these days. Instead of denying ourselves, they're saying embrace your true self and do what makes you happy. And as much as happiness is a goal in a lot of our lives, it doesn't come from following your heart. It doesn't as many Disney movies want to tell us that it does not come from following your heart. It comes from following Jesus Christ. It comes from denying ourselves, taking up our cross daily and doing those things. You want life and peace? Set your mind there. You want death? Well, keep thinking about the former sins in your past. Keep practicing those things. Those who have been set free from the mindset of only earthly things of the fleshly things. Through the gift of faith and the forgiveness of sin, we're, they're called to set their minds on better things, higher things, holier things. Because if your mind is preoccupied with the ways and the will of God, it won't be led astray near as easily, will it? But when you do, because Romans 3.23 tells us every one of us has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We will. We have a sin nature. When you sin, when you fall, be quick to remember who Jesus is. He has paid for your sin on the cross. He's cleansed you from it. He's nailed it, as Brock read. He's nailed it to the cross. We don't bear it any longer. Don't pick it up again. And when you live this way, in verse 11, Peter says that the eternal kingdom of Jesus Christ is open to you. Heaven is open. Those who are diligent to display Christ's likeness the, like the qualities listed in verses 5 through 7, you can be assured of your salvation if you're practicing these things because the kingdom of heaven is open to you. Look at, I just want to recap, this is in your notes, it's on the screen too. If, if these things are in you and increasing, if these qualities are in you and increasing, look at what we have. Verse 8, he says, you will not be fruitless. Verse 10 says, you will not fall away. Verse 11 says, you will enter the eternal kingdom of Christ. That's pretty good, isn't it? Like, isn't, isn't this what we want? We want a purpose in life. And Peter says, if you're practicing these things, if, if Jesus has changed your life, You'll have purpose. You won't be fruitless. You won't be ineffective. You've got purpose. You'll not be fruitless. you will not be ineffective you got purpose you will not be fruitless you will not fall away. You're held within the Father's hand. You won't fall away into those former sins. Practice these things. Fill your mind with the Spirit, not the flesh. And when He comes to, to, to get us, or when we leave this earthly body, we will see Christ's kingdom, the eternal kingdom is opened to us. But you know what? If these things don't matter to you, if you're listening or half listening or don't care at all about what I'm saying, if this is not your concern, then it's either because you've shut your eyes to the beauty of Christ and forgiveness in God or because you don't know him in the first place. And there's hope for either situation. There's hope in the cross Peter draws this portion of his letter, the first part of the letter, to a close by talking about his upcoming death, doesn't he? One particular thing connected with it that I want to point out. Look at verse 13. He says this phrase. He says, as long as I am in this body, verse 14, since I know that putting off this body will be soon, he says that somehow, in some way, the Lord Jesus made that clear to him. And then verse 15, he says, after my departure. These are all phrases that help us see Peter knew his death was coming soon. And in, in some way, God had made it clear to him that he wasn't going to be around much longer. I, I googled this week famous last words of people. And you can imagine what I got. I got all kinds of things from past dictators, to past presidents, to Bob Marley, to popes, to, to everybody. And some of them were like, that's, that's kind of profound. And some of them were like, stupid. <laughs> I, there's no, I'm not trying to be rude, but there's just no other way to say it. Just, just dumb. And we think like, you hope, at least I hope, the last words that I say are, are impactful, Right? And it's not like, get me another Mountain Dew or something <laughs> stupid. Like, I hope that they're meaningful. And, and most of the time when, when we talk about our last words and we think about that, we think about, you know, on the deathbed, the dad leaning over and whispering the secret of success to his son or, you know, something, something along those lines. I don't know that it's always that important, but Peter's, I don't, these aren't Peter's final words here, we know, but this was his final train of thought. He said, I'm leaving, I'm going to die soon. And here's what I want you to remember. Look at what he says. He said, I will, verse 15, I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. What things? Well, all of the stuff that we've, we've talked about of the virtues that Peter just talked about, of how to live life as partakers of the divine nature. All of these things that characterize a true Christian, those are the things that Peter has, has said to us, and those are the things he wants us to remember. He says, remember these things. Verse 12, I always intend to remind you of these qualities. We need people like this in our life, guys, girls. We need people that no matter what the situation is, Maybe you are at a highest height. Somebody comes and says, I'm going to rejoice with you. Praise God for this blessing in your life. And in our lowest lows, this person comes and they say, let's go to God in prayer. And let's ask him to be with us and see us through this. Even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil. Right? We need people to remind us of who God is all the time. Because, as you've already seen this morning, I'm forgetful. And I've got got to guess that many of you are forgetful too. He says, I always intend to remind you of these qualities. So this is Peter, remember. the The spokesperson for the disciples, who oftentimes spoke a little too soon. But he's the one who walked on water. He's one of the few who was chosen by Jesus to witness the transfiguration. He was one of the first to see the empty tomb. He was the one given divine revelation by God pertaining to who Jesus was. Right? Jesus says, you didn't come up with that by yourself. God gave that to you. This is the same Peter. And more than anything else, this is what he wanted us to remember. He wants you to remember the qualities of a person changed by the grace of God. That's what Peter wants you to remember. He says in verse 12 that Christians know them and are established in the truth that you have. The the evidence that a person is established in the truth is that they know and are increasing in these qualities. Remember, your pursuit of these things doesn't earn you salvation. It proves it. It reveals that it's true of you. So we love God because he first loved us. When Peter says, make your calling and election sure, he means live out the Christian life in the power of the Holy Spirit. This is what he says. Live it out in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's more than just a one-time event where maybe you did something out of the ordinary in a church building or something like that. We're talking about consistent life change. I may have started in that moment, but we're talking about consistent life change. Those who are increases, increasing in these qualities will be sure of their election and calling. John says in First John 5.13 that they will know they have eternal life. If that's a question of yours, again, read through First John, especially chapter 5. You want to know that you have eternal life? There you go. They will be living testimonies. Those who believe this will be living testimonies of the power of God that can change lives. But if you don't practice these things, if this is not true, if there's not a desire for these things, if this isn't the litmus test, it's not been changed when that piece of paper comes back up, well, then you're going to suffer from a lack of assurance or just an indifference to what the Lord is saying. That's not what we want. As God's people, we want to help one another along in these things. I've already given you a practical way to do that with your spouse and your relationships. Let me give you some more examples of how we do this, encourage one another in these things. We meet together on Sunday mornings for small group Bible studies. There's two adult classes starting at nine o'clock. There's all the other ages up to adult. And this is one of the ways that we encourage one another in these qualities. Because it's not just reading the Bible, though that is the main source of the point of getting together. It's doing it together. It's voicing, man, I, I, I struggle doing that. And somebody else saying, hey, I do too. Now, that doesn't mean that we just give up because nobody can do it well. It just means we push one another to the goal. We also accomplish this by interacting with God's word and not just Sunday school, Classes, small group Bible studies here, but small groups in the spring and the fall time in individual homes. Let me encourage you when we offer those again to sign up, to be involved. We do this through youth group for students, Awana for kids, other Bible studies like the women's revelation study that's happening right now. And we do this through personal discipleship relationships. So if you really are serious, if you're saying, okay, this was important enough that Peter said with his Basically, this was his dying wish that we would remember these things. I get that it's important. If you're saying, well, okay, I really do want to be encouraged to grow in grace and the qualities that Peter wants us to remember, here's a way that you can do that. If you're Even if you're already involved in some of those other small group Bible studies, find another church member or a Christian and ask them to get together regularly to talk about Jesus. That's not complicated, right? I'm not asking you to go through a 12 step program. The 12 has nothing relevant, but I'm not asking you to go through a program. I'm just asking you to meet with another Christian and talk about Jesus. Doesn't matter if you've been saved for 70 years or a week, a month, a year. Find someone. Who knows and loves Jesus and meet with them. And it may mean a little bit of persistence. And I can tell you what, you're probably going to have to rearrange your schedule because we've already talked about how busy we are. The question is, is it worth it? Is it worth it? I I think if we look at what Peter is saying, it was worth it to Peter with all of his life, with everything, with his last words, if you will, he's saying, this is what I'm going to, I want to always put these things before you. It was worth it for Peter. Let me encourage and challenge you with a couple more verses. These are in your notes too. Hebrews 12.1, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. It takes endurance. Philippians 3.12-15, Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, But I press on to make it my own. Because Jesus Christ has made me his own. Brothers, I don't consider that I've made it on my own. Or made it my own. But one thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind. And straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal. For the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. Press on, he says, First Timothy 6, 11 and 12. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. He says, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. See, all throughout, and what Peter is saying here too, the Word of God warns Christians about being lazy in our faith and drifting away from Jesus Christ as our only hope, as our anchor for the soul. Because the drift is easy. I want to close with what I think is a true story. I read about this this week. There was a husband and wife who were fishing off of a boat about four miles off the coast in Florida. And this this was years ago. They were fishing and enjoying the day. And the wife decided to jump in for a swim. Well, she quickly found out that the current was pulling her away from the boat. And she wasn't a strong swimmer, and so she was being swept out to sea. The husband, who was a good swimmer, heard her, her cries for help and without thinking jumped in to try and save her. Okay? His name was Robert. Her name was Glenda. Now they're both being carried away from the boat. One's a good swimmer, one's not. So they quickly made a plan. So since Robert was a stronger swimmer, he was going to fight against the current to keep the boat in view from going over the horizon and losing sight of it altogether. He would fight against the current until the tide changed. And then he would get the boat and go find his wife who was, who would just be more or less floating in the ocean. Okay. So. For six hours, Robert swam, fighting the current, the boat getting smaller and smaller, but keeping it in view for six hours. And when in the evening the tide changed and it was taking him towards the boat, he exhausted, gets on the boat, fires it up and goes to find his wife. Can't find her. It's dark. It's nighttime. Gets a search party. Goes out the next day. Search and search all throughout the day. On their last effort, they find her. She's alive. They started four miles out from the shore. Guess how far they found her? 20 miles off the coast. She drifted. She floated. It's an amazing story, but it illustrates what I'm trying to get at. If you do nothing, you will float. And you will float away from where you want to be. She floated 20 miles, 16 extra further away in just a short time, just a day's time. Miraculously, she survived. But brothers and sisters, if you just float, if you just go with the flow you'll go to places you don't want to be. You shouldn't be. Christians who disobey and don't pursue the qualities that Peter wants them to remember inevitably drift into great danger. The pull of the world, the attacks of the enemy, the lusts of our own flesh, even they will pull us further and further from the safety of God's power in our sanctification, God's changing power in our lives. So when Peter talks about these different qualities that he mentions, and he says he's going to always remind us of, when he mentions these things and talks about them, these aren't just extra stuff that really good Christians do. you understand that? These aren't just like the exceptions to the rule. Well, I'm just a normal, that's a really good Christian. That's not what he's talking about. These qualities are in every Christian. And should be growing in every Christian. It's not just icing on the cake of faith. It's like, oh, I got faith. That's enough. No, these are part and parcel to it. It's all part of faith. If Robert hadn't swam his hardest to keep that boat in view, him and his wife would have been lost to the sea. God's divine power, His great and precious promises, His, Him causing Christians to be partakers of the divine nature. If those things don't spur us on and give us strength to strive against the tide, then we will drift towards death being fruitless and ineffective in our faith. So here is my encouragement, sticking with our story, swim. Swim hard. Strive against the current that tells us to be lazy. Brothers, especially in Christ, brothers, strive against the current of telling you you don't have to lead your family. We have to lead. We have to be the first. Our wives, our children, our grandchildren, those in relationship with us, employees, employees, Friends, are they seeing us swim hard against the current? Or are we floating right alongside of them to destruction? It's so much easier to go with the flow and lose all sense of where we're headed. Don't do that. Be reminded of the forgiveness of God through Christ and of God's call to Christ likeness. So I'll give my encouragement again. Seek out brothers and sisters. I mean, you could do it today. Look around the room. Ask someone, hey, would you meet with me every other week for breakfast? Once a month, every week? Maybe we could just read the same Bible verse and talk about it when we get together. Just look around. It doesn't have to be someone your age. It could be someone older. It could be somebody, someone younger, younger. Look around. Find brothers and sisters who are swimming in the right direction and ask them if they'll help you learn how to keep pace, how to keep up in following Christ. And you know what? If today you found out through What God has been saying, if you've found out that you've just not ever been swimming against the current at all, that you've been content to go the way of the world and the lusts of the flesh, if you realize that today, I've got great news. God's calling, right? Because that's his job. He calls. It's God's calling, and he's calling today. And you don't have to respond By cleaning yourself up and making yourself good. God does that work. He simply calls and we simply respond out of the faith that he gives saying yes to the gift of salvation. And saying yes to a life of being more and more like Jesus. Swimming against the tide. And I think we can be assured from what Peter is saying here that if that's our aim, if that's our practice, God's power works in and through us in all things that pertain to life and godliness. And you can be assured that he holds you now and forever. Brothers and sisters, swim hard. Let's pray. Lord, I'm grateful for this reminder. Peter knew we needed it. He knew it. I think probably because he needed it. But he knew we did and he's right. Lord, I need this. I need to be reminded of how I've been forgiven of sin. And I don't have to stumble over it again. I don't have to fall into it. And not because I just try real hard, but because Christ holds me. I am kept within the hand of the Father. And, Lord, because I'm kept, because I receive all these great and incredible promises made and kept by God through Jesus, Lord, because of these things, now I want to walk with him. I want my life to depict Jesus more and more. And so, Lord, I pray that you would bring us into relationships one with another here in this church, without outside of this church, in the community of believers in a bigger sense, Lord, even. I pray that you would help us to love one another in this way. And I realizing that it's going to mean rearranging schedules. It's going to mean giving up maybe other things to do this sort of thing. Lord, I praise you for those who are already doing it. Because I know that there are many who are. I thank you for the encouragement that they are to one another. The challenge that they are to one another. And Lord, I pray that that would filter out in our church body in a much wider way and that we might see an outpouring of your spirit like we haven't seen in a long time, maybe ever. Lord, I pray that we would understand and consistently remember it's not our good works that save us and yet we've been called to them out of a relationship with Jesus. So Lord, help us to do the work help us to swim hard against the current of this world against the current of our own flesh help us to trust in you and operate as partakers of the divine nature thank you that you do this and you still call people today and so if you're calling someone today Lord I pray that they would respond in the faith that you give and that they would be yours forevermore